Hey everybody, it's Sunday, June 15, 2014. Hope you're having a great day. And I'm coming to you here from Ho Chi Minh City, Vietnam today. And before we start, some updates on my side. If you're in the US, today is Father's Day. And for Bolo Leather over the past month, I've been making a promo video for this event or this holiday. And so living here in Vietnam, we have about 20 to 30 friends that are also expats, uh, bootstrapping their business or kind of interning for other entrepreneurs. So obviously we can't just fly home for this holiday. So what I did was I got about 10 friends here together uh, got them in front of my camera to talk about their dads, some things they did growing up together, and any words they have for Father's Day. Kind of like a little short compilation video. And in the end, there's a brought to you by Bala Leather type of thing on the image. So I'll put a link to this in episode 104. Not really sure how it's going to turn out, but I thought it would be a cool idea. I think oftentimes parents wonder who we're living with here in Vietnam. You know, what is it even like? You know, are there rice paddies or helicopters or whatever? And then who are the people that we hang out with? So I think this would be a cool thing to do. Uh, maybe it has some legs for share within our circle of friends uh, but even then I think it's just a cool thing to do so uh, I'll link to it on the website this is episode 104 and with that being said let's get into today's episode don't deliver a product deliver an experience you're listening to the build my online store podcast and I'm your host Terry Lynn we're here to talk about running an online store and building a strong e-commerce brand to take your online store to the next level if you enjoyed this episode make sure to check us out at buildmyonlinestore.com let's get on with the show Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us today. Today I've got a special guest, uh, Luna Vega, over here, where we're going to talk about uh, e-commerce, uh, branding, and about her new book. So, Luna, what's up? Hey, how's it going? So, uh, for those of us who may not know who you are, uh, who are you and what do you do? I'm a digital marketing consultant uh, based in New York City, but traveled the world. So, I work in different advertising agencies. Pretty much, I'm bringing that knowledge for small businesses um, who are looking to expand their e-commerce business. Cool. So when you worked at the agencies, what type of e-commerce businesses were you working with starting out? Uh, I, I can't reveal the name, unfortunately, but I worked with brands like Sapien Nitro, RGA. Um, those are like the big advertising digital agencies out there. I helped in different ways. So I was a producer, so help as far as like development of the e-commerce site, but also with the strategy. And so working in Asia, actually, um, I learned so much about what's going on in the space and also how universal social media has become. And I wasn't really aware of that like two years ago. I didn't realize that everyone in Southeast Asia is really active on Facebook. So I came back with that finding and decided to sort of write a book because, you know, in the U.S., people don't travel as much. And so I think that U.S. small businesses are very sort of focused in the U.S. demographic and don't necessarily think about opportunities on a global scheme. So I kind of wanted to sort of bring awareness about all the different regions where there's like potential growth and also teach them about how to develop their business um, globally. Yeah, the funny thing is too, like anyone with a website anywhere can access your site, whether they're in like Africa, Asia, North America, South America. And I think a lot of people just think locally when they start out and like they probably don't realize the potential they could actually reach. And maybe that's something they're, you know, it's money they're leaving on the table, right? It's true, but it's not as easy as you say, because the further out you are, where your hosting is, like the further out it is, the harder it is for people to reach to go to your site. So yes, you might get be getting traffic from all around the world, but there's also like key elements that need to happen for that 
to take place. So as far as like the SEO, you need to make sure that it's country specific a lot of times. And also like within your social media, you also need to make sure that you're like interacting with the right demographics. So it's plug in and play. And also like I always encourage like small businesses to look into their Google Analytics because I think a lot of people like essentially and you know this, like they put content out there, but then that's all they really do. And they never like sort of go back to the reports and like get an understanding of like who's visiting their site and also targeting their content. So it works for the specific demographic. Cool. So before we get into some deeper topics, and I know you can't give away your client names, but just to give an idea of their business, are they doing like 10 million a year or like what kind of size revenues, annual revenues are we looking at just to give everyone an idea? Of the past clients I worked on? Yeah, they were like players in e-commerce. Yeah. Like, cool, cool. And so uh, when we were talking about a little bit about social media, um, I noticed some businesses have local pages, like say Nike, like they'll have like a Nike Taiwan page, Nike Vietnam page, Nike... China page in the US on it. And so when these bigger brands are doing that, does it make sense for a small business owner to do that too? Or like when should someone look into an operation like that? I think for smaller brands, no. I mean, why? Because it's going to be too time consuming for them to manage that many pages. But I think it's it's smart for them to sort of like give a nod to the specific demographic they're engaging with. And again, you know, going back to the, to the report, it's like first, obviously, like figure out who you want to target. So if you want to target, let's say, a demographic in Singapore, let's say, obviously, like, start spending a lot of, ad, like, Facebook ad spend, like, specifically towards that demographic, but then start seeing whether or not your the engagement is working, and then at that moment within Facebook, like, give a special nod to that demographic by, like, saying, I mean, just simple like hey super excited about all the Singaporeans like logging in and checking out our brand you know and just having like little snippets of messages within your social media that just takes into consideration that new demographic that's engaging with you if your brand is growing to the extent where let's say over 50 percent that demographic is coming from like the specific country then yeah I think it does make sense to have a page specifically for them but you need to like wait to see that those numbers are soaring in order for it to make sense. I don't want to sort of like call out this sort of like, oh, like westernization is really big because I feel like it's kind of sad. Like I think there's also like opportunities for Asian brands to reach a U.S. customer. So I think it's a little more challenging, like especially with the U.S. because the U.S. are culturally, it's very specific, but it's feasible. A lot of people are looking for products that are unique and they're tired of sort of buying through the big retailers just because it's sort of like the concept of like everyone's wearing the same thing and everyone has the same thing. Discovering something that's foreign is, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's kind of more exotic. It's I guess. more exotic, yeah. And sort yeah. of like helps. Like if like, I sold Japanese tea handpicked from the mountains of you know, Nagoya somewhere, like, you know, by a farmer, it'd be yeah. like, it this exotic East Asian thing, right? <laughs> yeah. Whereas, like, I think, whereas, like, it's funny, you think on the other side that there's, like, I think there's still a stigma of, like, stuff made in, like, say, China is, like, cheap, but I think when you go the other angle where, like, it's this unique Asian thing, uh, it just seems like in a Western market, it kind of had it kind of resonates more than like a general yes. mass market produced thing for like yeah exactly you know it, it, it's true i think the challenge and because i've worked with asian brands and you tell me if you think i'm right or not but i think the challenge is like a lot of asian brands like try to be western eyes and that's how they try to like 
sell the content back to the Western community. And they don't realize that it's not the right tone because whatever might work with their specific demographic will not work with the U.S. because there's just like little subtleties that can be picked up. Singaporean English is really different from actual English, right? So the, the subtleties will be picked up and it just won't translate the right way. And I think it's better to be more authentic and more transparent and be like, hey, we're this cool brand from Singapore and this is kind of what we offer. This is what makes us different and really sort of target in on that. And then at that point, it'll be easier to um, get a Western audience. Yeah, I think it comes down to how comfortable you are with your identity. I think a lot of Asian brands, like you said, they try to convince Western maybe markets, customers that, you know, to be like them, but rather they just be who they are and then see who comes and doesn't, right? Exactly. Owning your identity is still something new for a lot of Asian brands. Since I think a lot of a lot of it probably goes back to they used to manufacture stuff for Western markets and they still do, but trying to separate that you know into a brand identity versus manufacturing for someone i think is probably like a hard thing for people to grasp but i think branding's maybe something like the western markets just have more experience with this i guess i don't know is that something you see maybe is the difference perhaps yeah perhaps i mean something that i've heard from those brands was that well if we position ourselves as a western brand then we know that back in asia will be a more coveted brand, which I find that really odd. And I don't think that's necessarily true. I think it's just an assumption. Yeah, and and the thing is like, yeah, they can cater to that market, but then what about the Western market that their copy doesn't resonate with or that their, you know, like their singlish sounds funny, right? Like there's an either or thing. And I guess it depends on each business to choose which path they want to go. No, exactly. Well, I I think authenticity works better, especially for the Western market, just because at this point, you're, you're sort of like working with what you have and not pretending to be something you're not. And, and, and that comes with sort of like social media, right? If you just like go out there and you're very transparent, and you're like, hey, we're this mom and pop shop. There's only three employees. So bear with us. This is like as much content as we can put out, but we have amazing product. And at that point, it's a lot easier to get people to engage versus pretending to be this large corporation and then you're not able to deal with the amount of orders that you're getting or et cetera. Yeah, like I think since Facebook and social media came out the past couple of years, like people know it's someone behind the other side of the computer, right? So you don't have to pretend you have like 500 people in your company. Mm-hmm. Maybe like on the internet, you know, 20 years ago in 1990s, no one was really on it you know they didn't know who they were you could pull that off but now it's like you just kind of look dumb when you do that (laughs) yeah i know it's true and it's but you'd be surprised by the amount of companies like small businesses who who try to do that pretend they're bigger than they are and it's really sad because they think it's working to their advantage like it goes with the saying like fake it till you make it but they don't realize they're hurting the brand probably even like some solopreneurs fall into this too and it's like yo just say you're one person and you know no 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 one's gonna hate you on that because you know even if they do, they're probably not the people you want, you know, to be your customers too. So yeah, no, and that's and that's another really good point. I feel like small businesses they have a really hard time understanding who their potential demographic is, and they want to try to cater to everyone. In doing that, they're also jeopardizing their business. You have to be really niche and really understand who your specific demographic is, and then grow from there. Because if you do it the other way around, then your marketing messaging is going to be completely scattered 
and no one's going to understand what your potential goal goal is. So when you bring that topic up, have you found a lot of pushback? Like when you try to convince brands to narrow down, uh, you know, like what's the feedback you get when you tell them this? Well, a lot of them nod their head. So a lot of times I'll give them a toolkit and sort of let them manage on their own. But then when I check back with them, I realize that they're not really following my advice. They'll say, yes, okay, we know we need to get content out there, but then they're not consistent with it. Most people know, okay, social media is important and, and having unique elements like always broadcasted is, is vital to help uh, our overall brand awareness, but they, they don't stick to it. It's like, a, it's like a diet plan, right? If you only do it for two weeks, it's not going to work. You need to do it for the long haul. And I mean, anywhere between three to six months to a year, I mean, it takes about a whole year for you to see the payback. And a lot of small brands get impatient and then give up altogether. Yeah. So as a consultant, does that make your job harder? Like, you know, how do you deliver the results if they're saying yes, but then they don't do anything? It does make my my job harder. Usually what I do is just keep on nagging them. And I kind of see myself as like a, a marketing trainer, if you will, right? So where, where I sort of like have to like go back to them and be like, okay, no, you did this right, but X, Y, Z, you have to rethink about it. And, and also just making sure that, that they stick to it. Usually I work with them for like three to six months. And then at that point they see results. But yeah, it's, it's, it's a hard process because a lot of times I just have to be the bad cop, if you will, and help them really understand who they are as a brand, and also help them reach out to the right audience. Do you find most brands know who their customers are, or is it like an idea they have, but they never actually sat down and like worked through the whole? Uh, I feel like most brands never work through the development process, and that's the challenge number one today. When you talk to a brand, they'll tell you, oh, my audience is 13 to 21, 25 demographic, right? But that's not specific enough. You need to really understand, okay, so within that audience, like what type of content do they watch? Uh, what type of music do they like? Are they, are they the rebel kind? Are they the spiritual kind? Like you need to really break it down because it will help you understand where you need to engage. Yeah, and it's like what the music I like when I was 13 versus when I was 25, completely different you know, very different people. And it's like, just think of yourself, how, you know, dumb you're when you were a teenager, right? Yeah, like, really, do you think you're the same thing when you're 25? <laughs> Most brands who understand their demographic are the ones who succeed. Essentially, like they're focusing their effort because they know exactly which blogs, which influencers, which um, social media platform they should be engaging in versus brands are sort of like so scattered, they kind of run out of steam. Yeah, like one thing I've realized, one thing I realized is that not just like for brands, but even like in your personal life, like with all this noise on the internet, it becomes really what you say no to is more important than what you say yes to just because you always have all these options to like, you know, check your app on Instagram or, you know, log into Tinder or check your email or like whatever, right? And like, I think even for like a business, like just having that focus is so important now. and with things getting more and more expensive. Because if you don't have focus, you can run AdWords on like all these random campaigns. But you, unless you don't know who they are, like you're just gonna waste time, money, and energy. And it's funny because, so last week, I found that there's a couple brands now that are sort of retaliating to Facebook because Facebook changed their algorithm and also the ads on Facebook are not no longer um, as successful as they used to be. I think E24 was the name of the brand. 
brands like that who kind of think outside the box and just tell their audience their frustration and just like openly tell the world about it. They're really able to sort of get people's interest. If you read on blogs that, hey, Facebook's the way to go, but you don't feel that way in your heart, then don't participate in Facebook. Use other social media networks that are better fit for you. At the end of the day, you have to follow your gut, no matter how much content you're reading out there, what people are telling you, because obviously that's what works. People will be able to sort of engage with you. I personally, I'm not a big fan of Facebook, even though definitely it's a great tool to get uh, international customers. From a brand perspective, I like to use other social media uh, tools. Like, it depends where your, all your customers hang out to, right? Like, if you're selling to guys, guys don't really use Pinterest. We don't really post wedding photos or, like, dresses. You know, we don't have boards about that. So, you know, <laughs> like, don't don't waste your time there, right? Although, I would say, like, you know, sometimes if you're going to target the woman to buy stuff for the guy, I mean, there might be an angle there. But I think, like, when people say, like, oh, you got to be on everything. No, right? you don't. Exactly. Yeah, you need to just be focused. And, I mean, there's two things. Like you mentioned, A, like... Understand where your de demographic is spending time and be like, do what feels right for you, like based on your options. So if you feel like, hey, Facebook's not right for me, then just don't engage in it. You can still use the ads and drive traffic to your site. But then as far as having a page, like. Yeah, I think the ads are still pretty powerful, too, in terms of like the targeting, yeah. like how precise you can get. I think that's really cool, actually. But then like. You know, why drive them to your page when you can go to the site and get the email and you actually own the channel of communication rather than having them hold you hostage? No, exactly. Yeah. And it's, it's Facebook ads are actually like extremely powerful when um, trying to reach an international audience. The debate that's been going on is that in the U.S., it, they're not as successful as they used to be because... I mean, so many brands are using the Facebook ads now. So it's sort of become so cluttered that unless you're like a multi a multinational brand who's spending like tons of money, you're not going to be able to see the benefits like you use. But it's not as saturated in markets like Asia or even Europe. There's some kind of internet marketing bloggers slash gurus that use Facebook ads to buy traffic now. And I think a lot of them are spending like thousands a day. And you're like, wow, yes. like, I guess they're converting it on the back end because yes. they're going to be spending this. Because right? I guess the CPCs, CPMs are still kind of reasonable for them. I guess if the course is like, you know, 500 bucks plus, it kind of makes sense. But it's just interesting to see how people are, I guess the gurus are using different platforms to kind of market themselves. Because usually they're on the cutting edge of things, right, when they can spend this much yeah. money. So kind of for us that are like trying to figure it out for small businesses, like, yeah, yeah, they'll say to do this, but you actually want to see what they're doing, not like six months later when the strategy probably doesn't work anymore too. Yeah, no, it's true. Yeah. I agree. Awesome. Very cool. So let's go into your book a little bit. So why did you write this book and uh, what's it about? Yeah. So my book was inspired by my travels. Again, going to Asia was an eye opener of, as far as like all the possibilities and really helping small businesses like think on a global scale. It's sort of my acquired knowledge through my 10, 15 years, like working in the advertising industry, uh, doing strictly digital on a high level, breaking down the steps needed to build a global brand. And I'm sort of calling it like global influencer from online branding and having a strong design user experience and, and sort of like cohesive branding experience within your site to sort of like the checkout funnel and making sure that you have like secure payment in place and then fulfillment. So all these different aspects, like sort of breaking it down 
And then I go into marketing and explaining all the different cultural differences between different countries. So I break down sort of like Australia's demographic and which platforms they're more active on versus sort of China. Gotcha. So for like a small business owners that's listening to this, would you say it's for them if they've been in business, say, you know, three to five years are looking to go global or is it suitable for like someone just starting out? To- I think it's suitable for both. A good, really good friend of mine who's been, who's had his e-commerce store for five years plus read it and learned a lot through it. He was like really excited about it. I think it's for everyone from the person who's like starting out to the person who's been in business for a while, just because everyone can pick like different information out from it. Yeah, cool. All right. And so just to wrap things up a little bit, um, you know, since you worked with some bigger brands, I'm always curious to hear like what are their biggest challenges? Because for the small business owner, usually it's like sales and traffic. Uh, conversions, but for someone uh, like playing on a different game, like what have you seen to be what they're struggling it's with? It's funny because they they kind of still struggle with the same thing that small businesses struggle. Um, I think the main thing is like understanding, just keeping people interested, right? Like that's the challenge for any brand. So how do you do that? Bigger brands obviously have like bigger budgets, so they're able to hire crypt teams to kind of help them with that process. But it's also, it's always thinking about like, okay, what's the next strategy? How can we engage XYZ demographic? Especially when there's like a new product launch, they always have to think about how to position it to the right people and then how to get the message out. It's how to stay relevant and how to keep people interested. A lot of brands will will sort of have little microsite experiences where it has like nothing to do with their brand. And it's sort of like little mockumentaries or whatever you have. And they'll do that to get people engaged, you know, and just get people interested and uh, in what they're doing. And then from there, they draft traffic to their site usually. At the end of the day, like, I mean, it's been proven. Advertise, like anytime people look at advertisement, they just they just run away the other direction. So the way to engage people is like through creating content that they will actually watch, which is why a lot of movies or a lot of big brands like create sort of like these parallel experiences because they're trying to sort of hide the fact that it's advertising and make it seem like, hey, this is actually fun. We're trying to engage with you. And then through there, bring the bring the audience. So that's kind of like the advantages that small brands have is that they don't need to go through all that because no, like they don't have the awareness yet. Like people don't know what their brand stands for. So any audience that comes in is a little bit more open-minded about interacting with them. The challenge though is like creating content that people will care about. Yeah, this reminds me of the, you remember that twerking video of the girl that got her pants on fire? Yes. Do you remember seeing that? And then there was like a Jimmy Kimmel thing. I was like, wow, that was really smart because he was nowhere in that video until it went viral. And then you're like, hey, it's us. Yeah. And something like that is extremely powerful. Just like putting count- content out there, you know, that has nothing to do with your brand uh, and just to kind of like be fun and be engaging. And then at that point, link it back to you and be like, hey, by the way, this was us. Um, so bigger brands, it's easier for them to do that because obviously they have bigger budgets. But I feel like there's opportunity for small brands. It's just I think I think small brands like they just get scared like not doing the right thing so they go by the book too often when they really shouldn't they really should be like a little more rebellious because a good thing with like any sort of like uh, online digital marketing strategy is that you can change it around if things don't work accordingly a lot of clients like want things to go online for them to be perfect and what they don't understand is like yeah but it's you're better off launching something right with like your key products 
And then you can just like optimize as you go along. That's going to be more powerful for you because you'll get the actual metrics and understand where your audience is spending time. And then you can sort of adapt and change your site accordingly. Yeah, I think a lot of people get caught up with the whole event of things rather than the process of like, say, tweaking things, you know, putting out content, like the process of, you know, creating a consistent system that has stuff people like and or even figuring out what people like in the first place. Because I think now, especially like content, just to go on another tangent, like I saw another slide the other day by like Rand Fishkin. You know, he was like, when you make content, the first thing you should ask is like, you know, who is this for and why would they want to share it? Because really, if you can't answer that question, like sometimes you just make content, it'll just be a dud. And, you know, I'm certainly guilty of that before, but it just makes it interesting that, oh, you actually have to like find the right wall to put your ladder before you climb up. Otherwise, you know, you're going to climb up the ladder and realize it's the wrong wall. And then- yeah, I agree. Like when I started out, I had the same challenge, right, where I was like thinking so much about the perfect content that I was getting too caught up and I wasn't putting enough content out. And that's the thing with, with online, unfortunately, is you have to put a lot of content out. So it's almost like quantity is better than quality. And I hate to say this, but it's kind of true. You're better off like putting a lot and just like seeing what works and then tweaking it from there. No right will be wrong. You will find out from your customer base like what works and what doesn't. And whatever doesn't work, you just stop doing it and just continue with whatever's proven to give you like revenues back and results. Yeah, and I would, I would almost add that rather quantity or quality, it's really distribution. Someone should figure it out now too, I think. like Because if you can figure that out, whether it's bad content or not, it still gets out there, right? And I think if you don't have that, well, either if it's quantity or quantity, it doesn't really matter. And I think like figuring out that out is like the hard part now too. Like, well, you know, say you can go on a blog, you go on a blog one time, but the traffic drops. Well, how can you be like a regular contributor to keep tacking, tapping into that traffic, right? And like... I think most people don't think about this. They think, oh, we got to make content, but then, well, how are you going to share it or who's going to share it? Very cool. All right. So, Luna, uh, let us know where we can find you online if we want to find out more about you and your book and your new podcast. Go on lunavega.net. I have information there on my book, which is now available on Amazon. Feel free to reach out to me on Twitter um, at Miss Luna Vega. All right. Very cool. Thanks, Luna, for joining us today, and we'll keep in touch. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Build My Online Store podcast. If you want the show notes, make sure to check out the website at buildmyonlinestore.com. And if you've got an e-commerce store, every two weeks I lead a live mastermind call with about five or six of the listeners in two separate groups where we work openly together and solve a business problem that you have. And we're all there to support each other. So if this sounds like your cup of tea, make sure to check us out at buildmyonlinestore.com slash mastermind. Thanks again for tuning in and I'll catch up with you guys next week.